Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. You typically don't hear about Jesus as King at Christmas. We typically wait and talk about Jesus as King when it's Easter time. But I wanted to flip the script a little bit because I want to remind us that this isn't just a story of a cute little baby born in Bethlehem, and and, and it's not just a story of Mary and Martha and excuse me of Mary and Joseph. And it's 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 a it's a small part of a giant story, a story of redemption. And so today's the third message in a series of three. Uh, the first one was that it was Jesus. It was our our prophet. He spoke for God, and he, he gave us a clear picture of who God is. And it wasn't just a part and piece, it was the, the full thing. It was the, uh, what did I say, it was the, the full enchilada, right? The whole enchilada. And then last week we talked about how Jesus was our priest, and a priest is a mediator. It's one who goes in between man and God, and so we have Jesus as our great high priest who we can go to, and he pleads our case. In fact, it, it gives us access to God unlike ever before. And today I want to talk to you about Jesus as King. Now, this is a tough one because we don't fully grasp the concept of King. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to start with that passage, and then we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 9. So anybody in here ever been, uh, ever lived under the rule of a king? Can I see your hand, an earthly king? Okay, we don't have any Scots or, Eng- or, or Brits in here, right? So, oh, a queen. Okay, well, that's, that's, and actually it's different now in England than it used to be. Uh, they have a different kind of, uh, of, of monarchy. But if you remember history, you'll remember that the story of kings and queens is quite brutal. In fact, to try to get myself into the, to, to the mood or to the mode of understanding what it means to live as a servant uh, underneath a kingship... I, I went on Netflix, and I, I found a movie to just kind of, kind of, you know, yeah, you know, you ever just want to kind of feel something? You want to, it's, it's something so far removed that the only way to really, like, capture the essence of what it would mean to be there is to try to get there, you know, through a movie or through some type of, of literature or film. Do you ever do that besides me? I mean, I, I enjoy doing that. So I tried to find a movie that was supposed to be relatively accurate, and I found one that dealt with Robert the Bruce. Now, right alone, that's a cool name. I wish I were known as Jeff the Spoon or something. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool, right? But he became known as Robert the Bruce. And, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but essentially what happened is uh, Richard Lionheart uh, fought against the, the Irish, uh, excuse me, the Scottish people. Wait, wait, Ireland, Scotland, yeah, they're the same thing. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So there, there is this giant uh, 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 resistance um, because because Richard wanted to to basically be king of the entire land. And uh, you remember this guy by the name of William Wallace, right? Braveheart. Great movie, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Um, so, uh, William Wallace leads the rebellion against this, this English king, and of course, after eight years, they fail. And so, once again, 
um, Ireland is part of the, uh, uh, I did it again, Ireland, or is it Ireland or Scotland? I am talking about Scotland, but for some reason Ireland kept, that's St. Patrick. So Scotland uh, is, is still, you know, struggling for independence. Bottom line is, this movie gave me a clear picture of what it would be like to be under a king. And I got to tell you, it was not a pretty thing. Now, I knew this because I studied church history and I studied uh, world history. And, and as you did too, you remember all of the Henrys, right? Henry I, Henry II, Henry V, Henry VII, Henry VIII, who was an absolute uh, lunatic, right? But then if you go back and you study the kings of Rome, you study Herod and you study... Uh, 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 darn... Claudius and Nero, and you, you see all these guys who were just, just so immersed in power and keeping power that they literally are brutal to the people that they're there to serve. And all that to say, when we see Jesus as a king, we fail to recognize just how amazing it is that he is this kind of king. Because nowhere in history will you find a perfect king. Now remember, king means absolute authority, absolute sovereignty. It's not like that in England today, but it used to be that the king, when the king spoke, whatever he said ruled. And the king had advisors, but he had nobody to say, no, we're going to overrule you. When a king spoke, his word absolutely went, whether it was on a day that he was in a bad mood or in a gracious mood, it, it, it was an absolute authoritarian mood, uh, 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 leader. Our system of government is a republic. So theoretically speaking, we elect people to go represent us to our government, which is supposed to be a government by the people, for the people, and of the people, right? Now, we'll debate at another time whether or not that actually is the case. But we think that somehow when, when it says Jesus is King or Jesus is Lord, that means that He needs or wants our input and opinion. We think that somehow we can direct our King to do something this way or to rule something that way. But what we need to understand is that a King doesn't need anyone but Himself. And a king is, is, is sitting in the throne with absolute power. And in history, kings have been immoral. They have been cruel. They have been narcissistic. They have been literally crazy. If you remember Nero from church history, Nero was the, basically the king of Rome. And, and he was so crazy that he established one of his horses in his kingdom, in a ruling capacity. I remember as a general or something like that. Now, could you imagine serving a king who was crazy? In fact, the city went on, was caught on fire, and he used the Christians as the, the scapegoat. And so Christians were persecuted because of something they didn't do, because the king wanted to blame them. All that being said... How is Jesus different, and how does this relate to Christmas? Well, the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 9 how this relates to Christmas. But let's start in Hebrews chapter 1 to lay the foundation. 
In Hebrews chapter 1, we see the three offices or the three roles that Jesus fulfills, prophet, priest, and king. We used the, the first part of this passage the last two weeks. We'll finish through it. Chapter 1, verse 1, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. There's the kingship. And through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had prov provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. There's His kingship. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The scripture is speaking of Jesus, and, he's, and, and, and this letter to the Hebrews is properly uh, assigning to Jesus the true nature of his kingship. Now, there's massive difference between Jesus and every other king, and we won't be able to talk about all of them, but I want to talk about some of them. The first being how he rules. Jesus as king rules with two fundamental principles. He rules with righteousness and he rules with justice. We're going to see the justice part in Isaiah, but it's assumed here in Hebrews. Why? Because in order to, if you are righteous, you are also just, because being just is born out of righteousness. What does that mean? That means that every decision that Jesus makes, he makes it not based on, will this keep my power? Will this help me to be worship, not will, will this uh, cause people to fear me. He makes the, the, the judgments based on, is this right, based on righteousness that is above human morality. Does that make sense? So God's righteousness is the standard. And His righteousness is built in something much deeper and much truer than the righteousness that we often look at. So our earthly kings rule with, uh, gosh, this is hard to say, but we'd like to think that there's righteousness and morality there, but for the most part, earthly kings rule um, out of fear and out of dominance. Would you agree or disagree? Especially in history. Why is that? Because an earthly king assumed the role as king based on bloodline, most likely, but if not by bloodline, by, by power. In other words, whoever's the strongest becomes king. 
Whoever can last the longest becomes king. Whoever's most cunning becomes king. And here's the thing. Every king in history has assumed the position of king when, when the kingdom had already been going. So the, the, the kingdom was, was, was going, was going, was going. Okay, and now I'm the king, and then I'm going to die, and somebody else will assume the kingdom. Here's the difference with Jesus, though. Jesus didn't assume a kingdom that had already been established. He established the kingdom that he rules. Why is this important? Because it means that all authority is in him because he had the ability and the power and the, op and the, uh, the, the wisdom and all that else is that is needed to start the kingdom in the first place. And so when it says that that your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and your righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. The Bible's talking about a king who rules in a kingdom that was established by the king, for the king, through the king. It holds together because of the king, and the king will always be the king forever and ever and ever. There is a, there is a constance in this. There is a comfort in this. After all, for, for us, we don't live in a, under a, a monarchy, but we live in a, a republic where it seems as though our leaders sometimes act like kings, right? I mean, you, wh whether it's a Democrat or a Republican or anything else, you have to admit that, that our system of government is pretty, pretty messed up in a lot of ways. Is that, is that fair to say? Do you feel represented in your kingdom? No, you don't, right? There's this great battle going on. So, so here's the deal. I forgot why I was saying that. Darn. So, so we have this kingdom that we're in, and, and we, get, we get tense, and we get concerned, and we, we wonder what's going to happen next. And in fact, that's exactly what's going on in the political spectrum today. There are people on this side who want our our country to be this way, and there are people on this side who want our country to be this way, and the truth is, one way or the other, it is going to go, based on who's in power and who's in control. And so we, we sit here and we go, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned, and, and many, I'm afraid, and I'm worried, and I'm, I'm conflicted, because, because power is going to shift from one to the other. But here's the difference in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, there's been one king since the foundation of the kingdom, and he's Jesus Christ. And he rules not based on any moral code that man has created. He rules based on the righteousness that comes from the creator of the universe. And his justice is perfect and supreme in all things. And he doesn't miss anything. And he doesn't waver. And he doesn't make promises that he cannot keep. He is an absolute, perfect, true king that was there from the foundations of the earth. Here's why this is important to us. Because as Christmas comes and goes, our nation is consistently in turmoil. And if you think it's bad now, just wait until the first of the year. Come on, right? You, you think this thing's over? Yes or no? Is anybody confused about this? And is anybody uh, 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 just kind of, kind of? Uh, I don't even know what the word is. Is, is anybody, uh, is, is, it, is, is the, the things that are going on in our government causing um, a restlessness to anybody else? Nobody else? 
Y'all don't, y'all don't care. Yeah, you do. So coming to the first of the year, it's going to get even bloodier. Because guess what? It's an election cycle. Yippee! And guess what? We're going to start to hear this stuff amplify. If we think we've heard it up to now, just wait until the first of the year comes. They're putting more money on both sides than we could ever possibly imagine. And it is going to drive us absolutely crazy unless we remember that we serve a different king. And that's the whole point. We serve a king who is king of all kings. We serve a king who is a king of righteousness. We serve a king who is a king of justice. We serve a king who's been on his throne since the foundations of the world were set into place. And we serve a king who has our name written in a different book. Your name is written in the tax rolls, but if you are a follower of Jesus, you have your name written in the book of life. Amen? You have your name in a whole nother place, in a whole nother kingdom. And so we need to remember that this king means that we are aliens and strangers here. We are passing through. So I want to get to the text, but then I want to come back to that, okay? So the scripture says, let, uh, uh, scripture says that um, your throne, O God, verse 8, will last forever and ever. Your righteousness will be the scepter. For you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions and anointed you with the oil of joy. And then the Scripture goes on to say that, his, uh, that He will remain, though all else will wear out like a garment. His kingdom endures forever. Now turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 is a passage you've read probably multiple times or you've heard it many times. If you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special, you, you've read the Luke, you heard the Luke passage, but I think this is in there as well. In Isaiah chapter 9, the chapter begins by saying, we live in a dark place. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness, they have seen a great light. And where did they see the great light? on those living in the land of the shadow of death. Now get this picture. Those, the people are walking in darkness. They're living in the land of the shadow of death. That kind of sounds like a lot of what we deal with today. We do live in a world that is incredibly evil. We live in a world where, where justice is not is not uh, is not normal. Now, can I just say to you that the older I get, the more disenfranchised I get with our system. Anybody else like that? See, I when I was young, I used to actually think that that the Constitution meant something. I used to actually think that we lived in a country that that was a moral country. I used to think that we lived in a place where where good. Uh, rose above evil. But the older I get, the more I start looking at history and the more I realize that we're a country that's built on, on a lot of things that are absolutely anti-God. Just bear with me here. There is good. 
No, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There is good, and of all the places on earth to live, this is probably one of the, uh, one of the choicest places to live, right? God has blessed us. He's blessed us beyond what we could ever deserve, but we're delusional if we think that we are a holy nation. We're, we're blind if we think that we are a moral nation. We live in a nation where we sacrifice unborn babies for the sake of choice. More than 50 million children were not given a chance to live because of what we call choice. We live in a nation where sin is paraded nationally and celebrated nationally. We live in a nation that is driven by greed. See, I used to think that this wasn't the case. But it is. We've started wars purely over power and money. Am I saying something that's crazy? We send our young men and women to die for things like oil and dollars and control. I, I get it. There, it's a bigger picture than that. But I'm just saying the idea that we live in a nation that is a godly moral nation is, is, is crazy. So where does this leave us? This leaves us the same place it left the first century church. They lived under a brutal totalitarian regime of a king. It leaves us in the place where we say, come Lord Jesus, come. And in the midst of this darkness, a light has dawned. And we are that light. It leaves us in the place where our hope is not in governments and our hope is not in man. Our hope is in the one true king of all kings. And it leaves us in this place of having to daily choose to set our eyes on things that are, that are not earthly things. And it leaves us with the choice of saying, I surrender all my rights and all my wishes and all my dreams and all my desires to you, Jesus, and I serve at you, I serve at the pleasure of you, my King. What I'm saying today is this, this Christmas, we need to really consider that that, that the world we live in, if we truly take off our, our, our blinders and see what's really going on, it is a place that is not God-honoring, but God has placed us here. He's not taken out of it, so He's put us here for a purpose, and that purpose is to be the very salt and light that Jesus was when He first came nearly 2,000 years ago. Does that make sense? And so I don't want you to leave here thinking that this is some anti-government speech. It's absolutely not. It's trying to maybe, maybe, maybe move us beyond that to say, look, this stuff is expected. Governments have always been corrupt. But his government has never been corrupt. Leaders have always been a, a, a mixture of truth and lie. But his leadership has always been truth. Forever and ever and ever. 
Governments have always used people as the pawns to make their things happen. But this government is the only government where the king of all kings became like us to serve us as the lowliest of servants. Get this picture in your head. The king of the universe put on a loincloth, got on his hands and knees, grabbed a bowl of water and a cloth, lifted up the, the dirty feet of his disciples and washed them. Never have you seen a king do this. And never will you. Because in our economy, power is by force. It's by strength. Never let them see you weak. And Jesus said, I will be like the least of these. Because power was not something he had to earn or keep. It was his all along. That's why in Isaiah chapter 9, when the scripture says of the, in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. We know that there is a, an eternal nature to this king. So my question to, to you today is this. How will you live in a world that doesn't acknowledge your king? Because that's really the question. Because, because what we're talking about here is not the reality in which we live in our own, uh, in, in our own world. Does that make sense? So, so we're living in two kingdoms at one time. How, how do we actually live in this kingdom and be faithful to what God calls us to do? Well, welcome to the question that every generation has asked since the beginning and the foundations of the church. Every church father, with few exceptions, have, has addressed this very issue. Should, what, what, how, how much should Christians be involved in their government, in their, in, their, uh, uh, in, in their community, in their world. And the opinions have been varied and wide, and both sides, all sides, have used Scripture to defend their, their opinion. So I'm not going to pretend that I'm smarter than all the church fathers. I'm just going to tell you how I do it. And I'm going to ask you to just pray and, and find out how you do it. Here's what I do. I try to keep my eyes fixed on that which is immovable, and that is the foundation of Jesus Christ as King. I try to look to Him as truly my, my only obligation. And that's okay because when I do that, I can take everything that He did and everything that He said and say, okay, well, I'll apply that to my life. For instance, Jesus said when asked, should we pay this tax? And He said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give unto God what is God's. So there you have it. I don't have to, make a, I have to ask a question on that because Jesus has already done it. So the first thing I do is I try to keep Jesus as my king, and I try to recognize that above all else, I, I serve at his pleasure, not, not anyone else's. The second thing that I try to do is I try to remember that because I serve him, that means that my citizenship is in heaven, is in a kingdom that doesn't end, not in an earthly king. And the way I try to live that way is that I try to look at things and go, you know what? In the grand scheme of things, how important is this? And in the grand scheme of things, how am I going to affect this? 
I, I think sometimes we spend a whole lot of time spinning our wheels on things that we're not ever going to change. And it basically works us up and it gets us all, all emotional and stuff. And at the end of the day, nothing has changed. So my question to you is, why do that? Right? Why do that? So I try to, I try to say, you know what? I can't fix that. I can't change that. I'm going to put my attention on something I can change. And here's what you can change. You can love your neighbor. You can be friends with your great aunt. You can teach your kids what it means to love Jesus. You can be kind. You can be full of grace. You can be generous. All of these things are separate from the craziness that's going on in our government and in our world. But all of those things will actually impact the people that are around us, even though you can't impact things on a bigger level. Does that make sense? So I try to keep Jesus as the focus, my King of Kings, and I try to, try to remember that some of these things I can't control, so I'm going to keep, my, my, uh, 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 I'm gonna keep a realistic evaluation of how I, I interact. And another thing that I try to do is this. I try to not villainize people who are different than me. I try to not villainize people who are doing the exact opposite of me. Because here's the deal. When Jesus died on a cross, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Can I just speak real honestly with you today? He's like, no, speak lies. Um, the, church, the church has not done a very good job at speaking truth. We've picked sides and we've labeled ourselves one way or the other, and essentially we've totally alienated everybody who doesn't agree with us. And that destroys our witness in the gospel. You know what I'm talking about? We've, we've lined up. I'm on this army. I'm in this army. The problem with that is, we're not in any one of those armies. We're in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords army. And we've, we've hitched our wagon to things that are, are too polarizing. I'm not saying don't be involved. I'm not telling you how to live. I'm just saying at some point we're going to have to realize that Jesus has us here not to fix the government. He has us here to affect brokenness and lostness. And our government, no matter how fixed it is, is never going to solve that problem. No matter who's in office, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, I don't know, Atarian, whatever, they're not going to solve the problem of hungry children. They're not going to give houses to the orphan or, or give comfort to the widow. They're not going to be there when, when somebody dies and needs hope. See, governments do what governments do, but Jesus has us. The Bible says in, in the Colossians, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. What does that mean? We are representatives of a kingdom that is not of this world. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. And because we line up on one side or the other and so strongly yell at the other people on the other side, we're losing the opportunity to do what Jesus called us here to do in the first place, which was to fix the brokenness and the hurt 
and the pain. We need to be like Jesus. He was very good at saying, yeah, 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 all that stuff. But let me tell you what God says. I think we've lost our witness to a large degree because we choose sides and neither one of those sides are holy. Because when you choose a side, you lose the ability to speak truth. And truth is more important than sides. Amen? It absolutely is. In fact, I would say that in history, the worst thing for the church is to be coupled with the government. Let me prove it to you. Catholic Church in, in England. You tell me how that marriage worked out. You want to know what it was? England's king needed the church because the church controlled the people. The church needed England because England controlled the money. So it was a money and people exchange. And in the midst of that, such delusion of the gospel happened that there had to be an absolute reformation, a protest against what was going on. It's called Christendom. And it's not what Jesus built. He built a peculiar people. He built a people to where everybody else would look at them and go, you don't really fit here, do you? He built a group of people that were strange. They had different customs. They had weird things that they did. So much so that in the first century church, they used to, Christians used to be accused of being cannibals. Why? Because Jesus talked about, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh. And the rest of the world looked and go, man, you guys are cannibals. And they made all kinds of stories about what was going on inside of, of, of the homes where the church was meeting. But guess what? Inside the homes where the church was meeting, the Spirit of God descended upon them in such a way that the blind could see, the deaf could hear, the lame could walk, and the dead could live again. Because they were peculiar, because they were strange, not because they lined up on one side or the other. Folks, I'm not telling you that, that you should be totally uninvolved. I'm saying, watch your step. Because Christmas is about a king who was sent to lead us. And he leads differently than any other king. One of the amazing things about the story of Jesus is how often He is kind to people. I mean, let's just take, for instance, the story in Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 6, I think 16, where Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. I mean, he's, he's been dead for four days. By now, he's stinking, right? And Jesus goes with His disciples to the tomb, and when He gets there, He sees the brokenness of the people. And what does He do? Now, mind you, Jesus knows what's about to happen. Jesus is about to speak his name. Lazarus, come forth. That's what Carmen did. So as those of you who are old enough knew what that was at. Lazarus, come forth. He knew that he was about to speak his name and Lazarus was going to come out. And Jesus was going to go, well, get the grave clothes off. He lives again. But what did Jesus do? When he got there, he saw Mary and he heard from Martha and 
If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And what does the Bible say? Two words. Jesus wept. Since when has a king wept for you? Do you think your senators are weeping for you? Do you think your rulers are weeping for you? And I'm not talking about just... T- there was such a brokenness in the heart of Jesus because He saw the pain of the people and He saw what they were dealing with. That's why the Scripture says we do not have a high priest who cannot, unsymp- or cannot sympathize. We have one who can because He's been there and He's done that and He gets it and He understands. And so... The personal nature of this king is seen in that story. It's seen in the story where Jesus is walking through the crowd and this woman who's suffering from an issue of bleeding comes through the crowd and touches the cloak of his garment because she thinks to herself, if I can just touch him, then then my issue will be healed. And as she reaches through the crowd and touches him, he stops and he says, who touched me? And no doubt she is now feeling very... Uh, uh, aware of what's going on because she was unclean. The issue of bleeding was a nonstop menstrual cycle just constantly for 12 solid years. And she was unclean. She knew that she was not allowed to be there. She knew she was not allowed to touch him because now, according to the Jewish law, she would have made him unclean. And so she was guilty. She was caught. She was exposed. And he said, who touched me? The disciples said, oh, don't you know a lot of people here? No, 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 no. One person touched me. Your faith has healed you. What about the woman who was brought to Jesus because she was an adulterer? They threw her down on the ground and said, good teacher, the law says to stone her. She deserves to die. And Jesus, without saying a word, just knelt down, took out his finger, started drawing. And and if I'm picturing this in my head, this woman is on her knees with her face down, tears streaming down her face. And I'm imagining Jesus says, where are your accusers? Well, then neither do I condemn you. And then the woman who comes with a, with a bottle of perfume that was one year's wages, she falls on her face, she breaks it, and she begins to wipe his dirty feet with her hair. And all those around, the self-righteous ones say, don't she know, doesn't, don't she know, doesn't, they were from Alabama, doesn't she know, sorry, doesn't she know what's going on? And he says, stop it. This woman has done more for me than you even thought about doing. And story after story after story of this kind of king. So here's the crux of the matter. Here's the meat of the matter. We serve a mighty king. We live in a world that is not as pristine and as perfect as we sometimes imagine that it is but we live in the world. We haven't escaped it. We're not going to escape it. Until Jesus comes, here's where we are. So while we're here, let's live with our eyes lifted up 
Let's live with our hearts set upon things above. Let's live with our minds, as Colossians 3 tells us, set on things above. Let's live with the hope of the gospel, which is good news to the brokenhearted, to the prisoner, to the captive, to the poor. Let's live our lives not jockeying for power and position. Let's give our lives for the very same thing that Christ Jesus, the King of Kings, has given His life for. And that is so that people might be made right with God. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing. The older I get, the less I love about the world. You know what I mean? The older I get, the less I love about the world, but the more I start to love people. Because I see the value not in what I have, but in the relationships that God has blessed us with. And the older I get, the more I realize that, you know what? You can't be my enemy. Because God loves you. I can't be mad at you. Because God's forgiven me for far worse. I can't hate you. I can't wish ill on you. Because you are created by God. Even if you do awful, unspeakable things, I still can't wish bad for you because God does not even delight in the death of the wicked. And if that's the way God my Father feels, how can I feel any different? Amen? So it's Christmas. I want to invite you to take a view of a king. And to establish him as king. That means your worship should be different, right? That means your gift should be different. Another thing I was thinking about with kingdoms, uh, you know, taxes were a big deal. They always had to pay, they had to pay, we had to pay taxes in order to fund their wars, essentially, what you find in history. God doesn't, God doesn't require a tax. You know that? The king of kings does not demand a tax. He does not come and say, I'm going to take this from you. You owe it. You know what he says? He says, I'm going to give you the opportunity to love me. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to serve me. I'm not going to force you. Because I want relationship. Not servanthood. What other king? What other king has that kind of people. Amen? Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? Pull that down if you will, right way down. I know that there's a potential that today could be offensive to you. And I know that because anytime we even skirt the edge of politics, it just, it, it, it lights us up in some way on the inside. And I was very careful not to, not to label any political parties, any particular leaders. Because it's not about that. It's about looking beyond that. It's about looking be above that. The call today is to recognize Jesus Christ as King. And when He is King, everything else becomes smaller. So today, I'm asking you to experience the joy of serving Jesus Christ.
I'm asking you to ask yourself, where has he placed you? Where has he sent you? To whom has God called you? And as Christmas comes, I'm asking you to wake up on Christmas morning and say, Jesus Christ, I serve at your pleasure. You are my king. Father, my prayer today is that you would help us. God, we need help. You are wonderful counselor. You are mighty God. You are everlasting Father. You are Prince of Peace. There's none like you. God, help us to see that today. Right where you are, I'm going to ask you just to spend a few moments talking with God. Ask Him to show you any area of your life that you have not yielded to Him. Ask Him to show you any area of your life that that you're struggling with. But you're struggling because you haven't seen His hand in it. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus, I want to invite you to say to Him, Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I recognize that you died so that I could be forgiven. So I place my faith in you and I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. And I trust you with all of my heart. Now, Father, you are a good and gracious God. And in this moment, I'm not exactly sure what it is that you're speaking to each of us. Lord, I just know that for me, you're speaking truth about your power. So, Father, I ask that in this moment, however we're hearing your voice, we would choose to be faithful and obedient. Lord, we ask this in your name, the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. Find out more about 